Every generation likes to talk about how much harder things used to be when they were kids, like all of our parents who said they had to walk five miles uphill both ways in the snow to school. Well, on this episode of Middle Class Millionaire, we're going to talk about retirement planning. Is it harder than it used to be? Becoming a millionaire isn't just about growing your money. It's also about protecting and preserving your wealth by using the right financial strategies for your situation. Welcome. This is Middle Class Millionaire with John Choi. John has his Master's of Science in Financial Services and is a certified financial planner and the president of Epiphany Capital. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast with John Choi. Middle Class Millionaire is the name of the show. And if you have not yet considered subscribing to us or subscribe to us, please consider doing so by simply typing in Middle Class Millionaire into the search box of whatever app you like using, like Apple or Spotify or YouTube, or find all the information you need and more at John's website, johnchoy.net. That's johnchoy.net. We're going to get into some, is retirement planning harder than it used to be with John this week? What's going on, buddy? How are you? Good. How are you? Doing good. You and I were just joking. Uh, it's we're taping this on Valentine's Day, so uh, you said uh, you're all set to go because you ain't stupid. <laughs> well, what I actually said is because I don't have a death wish. There you go. There you go. So very good. So going out to dinner this night tonight. I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. We'll just have a nice, I think, quiet dinner between us and you know a hundred and other couples. That's right. Yeah. Everybody. So we hope that everybody has a good Valentine's Day. Obviously, you'll catch this after Valentine's Day. Uh, and it doesn't have anything to do with the episode, but just thought I'd bring it up. So hopefully you have a, uh, if you celebrate such thing, hopefully you enjoy yourself. But John, I got five things I want to run through here on retirement planning. Is it harder than it used to be? Uh, my little teaser there. My dad was definitely one of those guys that would say, ah, ah you know, uphill both ways in the snow. And I'm like, come on now. I'm not dumb. You can't go uphill both ways <laughs> to the same location. You got to come back down as well. But he was one of those guys, right? So they'd like to do that kind of stuff. So I got five places I want to identify uh, and just kind of talk about how things are different, whether it's 10, 20, 30, or 40 years ago and debate, is it harder now than it used to be? Maybe harder is the wrong term. More complex, I think, is probably going to be a fair assumption, but let's get into it a little bit here. Let's start with job stability and company loyalty. Um, you know, there's this is two-sided, really. It's not just the workers who no longer stay with places as long, but I think companies also don't really give the reasons for people to stay like they used to for 30 years or 40 years at a time. What do you think? There's definitely a trend in at worker turnover, right? I mean, back in grandpa's days, when they used to work before GM, steel mills, whatever, they stayed 25, 30 years. They had one employer. I mean, to change an employer means it's because somebody got sick and you had to move across the country and you got another job. Job hopping really didn't happen. And something changed. And I don't know when it changed, but and I don't need the statistics to know that people don't stay at jobs for 30 years anymore. They right. they job hop. Like it's kind of like buying a house, right? You they say the the average American moves, you know, seven times or once every seven years. That's about what it is with the job. They they stay it for seven years and then they move on. So it is very different. I don't know why that is, but that's the trend. Yeah, and you know, and could the, that could be somewhat to that moving conversation that you just had, right? So that's kind of interesting because typically, right, you would have gotten a place, you know, forty years ago or forty-five years ago. Your parents or whatever might have, uh, especially for our demographic, probably their parents probably 
whatever house they bought, got married, had the kids, and they probably stayed in their whole life. So yeah, they didn't yeah. move unless there was a reason to. So certainly moving has changed that. And and I think companies, you know, obviously the death of the pension uh, also changed a lot of that as well. And so if you're thinking about that, like we used to have this kind of um, – I don't know, for the lack of a better term, just kind of think about three legs of a stool, right? And you had pension, Social Security, and really, if you didn't even have much savings or even very modest, you were probably fine. But now, as we know, and it's only going to continue to get worse, John, uh, personal savings is really where you got to add more reliance. Back then, there was less. Now it's more. Yeah, and when I'm teaching my certified financial planner students, my CFP students, and we talk about... uh, you know, our 401ks, 403bs, things of that nature. And then we talk about other plans like pension plans. And they say, well, you know, how much can the uh, employee contribute? And I'm like, generally nothing. You have to understand that back in the old days, the company used to take care of the worker. The worker did not contribute out of their own paycheck. If you ask grandpa, hey, grandpa, how much did you put toward your own pension at GM? He's going to look at you like you have three heads. It's like, what are you talking about? My money is my money, and the company has to take care of me. So this whole idea of us deferring our part of our own salary in a 401k, mm-hmm. that's kind of a newer thing. So that's what I really wanted to stress to you about, that companies used to take care of us. Now, as you said, that's the pension. No longer. It's, the companies just can't afford it anymore. And so they put the onus on us, the workers. And, you know, I don't want to say it's better or worse, but it is what it is. And we've got to adapt to the times. Yeah. You know, and and it's only going to, I think, continue, right, John? Because, I mean, look at the changes to the Secure Act Part 1 and 2 that the government's put out. They're basically waving that flag saying, hey, you know, you guys got to do more. Now, what's happened over the last number of years, I think, is that they realize that people are, you know, with the 401ks and they, they're not putting as much in as they need to, or they're seeing that the numbers for retirement are not going to be where they should. And so they're making some of these changes governmentally to kind of help companies or help people save for themselves. Cause like, all right, look, sometimes you got to lead the, the kids by the hand and say, look, if you know, <laughs> you got to come over here and, and uh, eat your vegetables kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And that's, that goes along with the laws now that you're opted in unless you want to opt out. Right, I mean, the right. Default now is you're opted into the 401k. The one thing I don't like about that is, you know, we don't have financial education in our school system. So you take a brand new college, you know, graduate, 22, 23 years old, and they say, okay, well, you're part of our 401k now. Um, Go ahead and tell me your allocations. And they're like, I don't know. They go to the old guy in the cubicle and they say, hey, what do you do? And they go, oh, just half in stocks and half in mutual funds. What do you do? Can you show me your magic secret formula? And he says, here, 25% this, and it's across four mutual funds. Like, okay, that, that must be the right thing. So in that instance, I, I don't think that that's a great thing. Um, and the other thing is, why not put it into a Roth 401k? Uh, pay the tax when you're making low money now, right? And pay the tax at 15%, so you don't have to pay the tax later when you retire at 24% or 32% or when tax rates are higher. So you're going to use a tax arbitrage. So no one talks about that uh, to the younger workers. So I'm in favor of uh, Roth 401ks all day long for the younger, less paid workers. 
Yeah, and that's a great way of breaking that down. And I think that's certainly something that we're going to continue to see changes on because it's only going to get worse, I think, for the younger gen, you know, like your kids, my kid, so on and so forth, right? In their 20s or teens or whatever the case might be. So we'll see how that plays out. But certainly got to think about planning ahead and sharing that information and trying to get through to your kids and grandkids, which we all know is tough to do, but still got to do it. Uh, let's do higher interest rates. Back in the day, clearly higher interest rates. So I got a couple numbers for you, John, for fun here. 1980, 10 year U.S. Treasury bond. Give me a number. What do you think it was? The 10 year in 80? Don't look uh, it up. I would say the 10 year probably like 12 to 14%. Pretty good. Pretty good. 11. 11 and some change. So pretty, pretty close. Uh, but what was the mortgage rate in on the national average, 1980? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm going to assume 14%. Yeah, you're really close again, 13 and some change. Again, national average. And then finally, you know, what was CD rates in 1980, uh, national average? And it was about 15, right? So if you think about people say, well, you know, we had better interest rates back then. But look at those numbers comparison, right? There's only a few percentages difference from each. And that's kind of where we're at now in some ways. John, like, you know, you maybe could get 4 or 5% at a CD right now, which we haven't seen for many years, which is great. And if you got your mortgage, you know, within the last, well, let's say 10 years before the last couple of years, at least somewhere in that window, you probably have a pretty low one, 3% somewhere in that neighborhood, right? Before it started to climb. Yeah. So it's really <laughs> not all that different than it was 40 years ago. Well, so again, when the younger folks, they say, uh, hey, why are you giving me questions that have a 7% interest rate? That was a year ago. They're like, this is, this is unfathomable. Right. 7% mortgage? Are you kidding me? I can just <laughs> go across the street and get 3% on a 30-year fixed. Mm-hmm. It ain't like that anymore. Right. It ain't like that anymore. So higher interest rates was the default or the de facto back in the day. In fact, I don't know if you've ever heard about the 4% rule of withdrawal uh, from your retirement funds. Right, right. But there's a guy named Bill Bangin that uh, came up with the 4% rule. And his assumption, the way he came up with that was he had uh, half in equities and half in fixed income or bonds. And he assumed, and I think this was the early 90s, he assumed that the fixed income, the bond portion of your portfolio would pay 6.6%. And that was kind of like his world, right? So have interest rates come down? It has come down a lot. It's climbing back up. It's probably going to stay steady. Is the Fed going to cut rates? Probably, maybe toward the end of the year, they're going to have to look at inflation, so right, on and so right. forth. But you know, these high, these really, really low interest rates that we had, with, that we enjoyed for the last, and I'm talking before 2022, we right. had, oh my gosh, 15, 20 years of really low interest rates, right? So that's not the normal world. Uh, I think right now we're kind of even around normal, maybe even below a little bit normal. So I know that's hard to hear, but that's we have to put some perspective into this. Yeah, because I'll hear people say, oh, it's too bad we can't have rates like our you know, our, you know grandparents had or parents had or something and get like 13% at CD. And it's like, yeah, but you probably really don't want that because the, the equivalent is going to be higher than a 7 or 8% mortgage, right? So, oh, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so kind of careful what you wish for in that regard. Uh, all right, uh, next one. Fewer sandwich generation challenges back then. So you had less people, less, I guess, generations living under the same roof because of uh, trying to get by and whatnot, right? So I know that wasn't, you know, my, for my dad, I mean, I was, you know, it wasn't like he had to take care of his parents in the house plus me, but yet, and I had my mom in the house and our uh, daughter at this, you know, getting ready to go to college all at the same time. So, 
it happens uh, a lot more now. And I think it's even more currently the last maybe two or three years uh, post COVID than we've seen, you know, in a while too. Well, I was thinking about this, right? So let's just break this down. You and I were both part of the sandwich generation. We're generation Xers, right? We're generation X. Right. And what happens is that the generation that's older than us is, is the baby boomer generation. And the baby boomers, again, they kind of had that, hey, the, our employer will take care of us and we don't have to save that much. And then, you know what, slowly the pension died off and they're like, well, maybe, maybe our kids are our retirement. So we, we're taking care of our, our Gen X parents. And then, or even, you know, uh, it may be the generation b- before that, uh, older than that. And then we, of course, have to take care of our children. But I think with the Gen X folks, is they didn't have to take care of their parents. Their parents came from the Depression era. And their parents pounded into their heads that you save money, you don't spend it, and you save it up for a rainy day. So what happens with right. Generation X is that, they, yes, they took care of us, or the baby boomer generation, excuse me. The baby boomer generation took care of us because we were their kids, right? Or like late, late Gen X folks. But they didn't have to take care of their parents. In fact... Uh, their parents will pass on a record amount of money to the uh, baby boomers. The boomers, you know, which is almost now a, a, a an insult to how old you are, right? Yeah, they, call, yeah. they say, hey, boomer. So the boomers, they really didn't have to take care of their parents. They are going to be the recipient of trillions of dollars coming down. And then their children may or may not be taken care of. I don't know. Because they're they're now in spending mode, they want to enjoy their life. So that, those are the different, I think, mentalities or attitudes toward retirement and spending money. Well, so. you see a lot of Gen Y and even Gen Z on these, you know, on various media social things. They're posting videos and they're talking about how bad inflation is and it's killing them, and they can't afford an apartment and food and this, that, and the other. And of course, what happens is they go back to mom and dad's, which is AKA, you know, us as Gen Xers, people in their, you know, fifties. Uh, 45 to 55, somewhere in that neighborhood, and they're staying with us. And then, of course, then we have uh, our aging parents, a few boomers still left around and things of that nature that we're taking care of. So it definitely is, in my opinion, at least from my personal experience, you know, I've, I know a lot of people that are dealing with that situation right now that are Gen Xers that have both wiser Zs at home and boomers in their house. And it's tough. I mean, the inflation is is rough. And part of that could be, John, the the um, this last piece I wanted to bring up here, which is there used to be more contributors to Social Security versus people who are pulling. And now we have clearly less people contributing to Social Security and more people pulling to the boomer conversation. Oh, my gosh. Social Security was started in 1935 under FDR. And at the time, there were 42 workers for uh, one retiree. That was the design of the program. In fact, uh, back then, you had to wait until 65. That was the earliest you can pull from Social Security. Yeah, and life, life expectancy, expectancy was like 63, was, right? Yeah. Yeah, the life expectancy was 63. And if you were lucky enough to live to 65, on average, you collected two years of Social Security. So it was way overfunded, way, way, way overfunded. Now, fast forward to today. We've got two point something workers, two and a half workers to support one retiree. Crazy. We can tap Social Security at 62. That's the earliest we can tap it. When we do get it, how long do we uh, you know, receive it for? 
20 years? Sometimes even 25 years, right? Yeah. So this is a different program. It it went from a let's guard against longevity to a let's make this a retirement plan program. Yeah. So that's a little perspective on Social Security. And changes are going to have to come, right? I mean, look at what happened in France about a year ago, right? Weeks longs worth of, uh, you know, rioting in the streets over pushing the pensioner program, their equivalent, back two oh years, gosh. right? Uh, yeah. And it's people that were not going to even have to worry about it for 40 years getting upset about it. And it's like, okay, look, like it or not, folks, you know, depending on your whatever your age is, we're going to have to make some changes here uh, for this thing to continue to be sustainable. Now, they can probably and probably will grandfather something in, saying a certain age or a certain birthday and up, nothing will change. But you could easily see them saying, all right, 62, the early retirement gets moved to 64 or 65, and full retirement goes from 67 to 70. You know, that's probably the easiest move that will also fund it for quite a while. And uh, But, you know, nobody wants to be the person to actually put that forth. Right. That's the third rail of politics, right? Social Security, you don't touch that. Yeah. Um, but they're going to have you know, just to. Going back, I'm sorry? They're going to have to. I mean, I know they don't want to, and they're going to wait until, what, 2033 when it's about to run out? Yeah. Well, just to put it in the perspective, you know, we, we both said, hey, look, the earliest you can tap Social Security back in the day was 65. Right. And the average life expectancy was 62. So that would be in today's terms, right, in 2024 terms, that would be like the earliest we can tap Social Security is age 85. Crazy. And if we did live long enough, if we were fortunate to live long enough to get that Social Security, on average, we'd get it for about two years. Yeah. So, you know, pushing it to 70, 67, I mean, they already did it once, right? It was 66 for people born, you know, before 1954. Right. Everyone after that, you know, incrementally went up. And after 1960, if you're born after 60, it's now um, 67 years old. Yeah. But 70, I mean, again, it's, I think they have to kind of reframe this position to say, is this a retirement plan that is funded by the people for the people? Or is it a guard against longevity? They, they really have to, re- the government has to reframe that conversation and they have to reframe that in in the American people's minds. Yeah. And that's going to be a hard sell when they can't even get out of their own way most of the time for, you know, all the other things we got going on. So we'll save that conversation for another day. So I guess we'll just break it down with this last little short question. Is it harder than it used to be? I don't know, John, I think it kind of is. I mean, I think, and maybe I said it earlier, it's not that it's harder. It's just life is more complex. Everything is more complex. We've got more tech. We've got more uh, tools and resources, but that adds to the complexity as well. That's so well said. It's it's not harder. It's just more complex. I yeah. mean, it's <laughs> my my kids have these cars, right? That basically self drive for them now, right? So so in essence, it's easier. Yeah, self park, self drive, all that stuff. Right? right, right. But is it more complex? Absolutely. In fact, when my first daughter was driving, my oldest daughter when she turned sixteen, you know that little. Automatic transmission, it's got park, mm-hmm. reverse, neutral, drive, and then maybe they got L for low. So we know what that stands for. So she goes, Dad, what is this thing? And I said, you know, you put it in the drive. And she's like, what's the Prindle? She called it the Prindle. <laughs> P-R-N-D-L. And I'm like, oh, boy. But she goes, but her heart car could, you know, self-park or whatever. Right. right. So, 
I thought that was a little humorous. Yeah, I wanted that. Hey, you know what? I don't know about you, but I learned I learned how to drive drive with a three on the tree. For those of you who remember that, it was three on the column, uh, and uh, and even have been in cars that had the push button uh, from you know the early '60s, where you had the, uh, the there's like you know the five buttons on the dash, and you pressed park or drive or neutral or reverse. So, wow, that was old school. Yeah, it's very old school. So there you go. All right, well that's uh, that's our podcast for this week. You know, is retirement planning harder than it used to be? Eh, complex maybe is the better term. Certainly more complex. And that's why you need a certified financial planner in your corner, like John Choi. Get on his calendar, reach out to him, have a conversation. Uh, find him at johnchoi.net. That is johnchoi.net. He's the president at Epiphany Capital and here to help. If you've got some questions, reach out to him and book some uh, book a call online. Just go again to johnchoi.net. My friend, thanks for hanging out. I'll see you in a couple weeks. Always fun. We'll catch you next time right here on Middle Class Millionaire. Epiphany Capital is a registered investment advisor, RIA, located in the state of Illinois. Epiphany Capital provides investment advisory and related services for clients nationally. Epiphany Capital will maintain all applicable registration and licenses as required by various states in which Epiphany Capital conducts business, as applicable. Epiphany Capital renders individualized responses to persons in a particular state only after complying with all regulatory requirements or pursuant to an applicable state exemption or exclusion.